0: sure you'll agree that there are many instances in life where God does not give us direction in his word as to what we should do, not specifically anyways. But his providence in the life of a believer is always evident. He guides us by principles and promises in his word. He guides us by circumstances and people he brings into our lives. He guides us through prayer and the sound advice of godly friends. And one of these instances is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 24, as Abraham seeks a wife for Isaac, the promised seed. Abraham does not know the specific person God has in mind, but he knows for God's uh, program and God's promise to move forward His son must have a life partner. And this story is not advice about how to select a future spouse, although we could see some pointers here. Uh, It's a beautiful picture of how God providentially brought this couple together. His name is mentioned 17 times, but he does not speak, he does not appear, he does not directly act. However, his presence is clearly evidenced through Abraham's faith, the servant's prayer and its answer, his guidance to the right place at the right time, to the right family, and the recognition of uh, providence by Rebekah's family and her willingness to follow the Lord. All along the way, the characters of the story are involved in this movement of providence. God moves his redemptive plan forward through his people who cooperate with his will. Our human responsibility is to be involved in God's plan by faith and obedience. So we see this working out in the characters of the narrative. We see them seeking God's will, recognizing it when it is evident, and encouraging others to see it as well and respond to it. And we're no less involved in God's providential plans as we respond to his redemptive plan, and we seek his guidance in our lives as individuals and in his church, the body of Christ. So let's ask God's blessing on uh, this chapter this morning. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we are grateful for your word, for what it teaches us about the forward movement of your plan and lord we can uh, easily see your providence working in the acquiring of a wife for isaac so that the promise would continue to the next generation and lord we know today that it culminated in the lord jesus christ who died for us so really uh our lives uh, can go back, be traced back to this one providential uh, act of guidance. Uh, And we can share in the narrative as we understand what was going on and see how you work in a providential way in our lives today. So Lord, bless us from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want us to see in verses 1 through 9 is Abraham's commissioning his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And we see Abraham's role in moving forward God's providential plan. Let's take a look again at verses 1 through 4. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. So the Lord's blessings been upon Abraham He promised to bless Abraham. He's done so. Not all the promises have been completely fulfilled, but the foundation is laid now securely in the life of Isaac. Abraham's an old man. His lifelong partner has passed on to glory and God's promise now needs to move to the next generation. Abraham realizes this, and he wants to be involved in carrying on the will of God. And in order for this to happen, then Isaac must take a wife so that the promised seed may move forward. Now Abraham then commissions his most trusted servant. It says here, uh, he said to his oldest servant of his house, Now that doesn't mean he's necessarily the oldest in age. What that means is he's the most trusted servant in Abraham's household and he's the one who's likely running things. It could well have been that this was Eleazar. You'll remember in the story of Abraham, he once thought that maybe this was uh, the promised seed of God, the one that was a carry on, the promise, but learned that that wasn't the case. And then he bids this servant To do something that may seem strange to us, put your hand under my thigh and take an oath. And that was a euphemistic gesture uh, representing the seed of life necessary to carry on future generations of descendants, as God had promised. And the significance of it was the, the servant is going to now bind himself to an oath which is involved in the carrying on of that promised seed. And the oath is before the Lord. And notice that Abraham calls the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. Now that separates God from the plethora of false gods, that were worshipped in the land of Canaan, even back in the days of Abraham. It is this God, Yahweh, who is the true creator God, the one that controls the heavens and the earth. He stands alone as that figure, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and this is the God of Abraham. Now, there's one important stipulation that he gives in this quest. We find it again in verse three. He says, you will not take a wife for my sons from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So there's a negative here and there's a positive. This person is not to be taken from any of the Canaanite tribes in the land. And this kind of goes back to Genesis chapter 9, where we found a curse was placed upon Canaan and a blessing placed upon Shem. And now he is in the land of Canaanites, descendants of Canaan, and he's remembering that this is a people who is cursed. That curse will fall, not immediately, but down the road sometime. And it's important for him to keep his uh, uh, son uh, pure in the line of Shem, so his wife must be selected from the blessed line as well. Later on in the law, God would codify this principle to Israel. They were not to intermarry with pagan people of the land either. Rather, the servant is to journey back to the land where Abraham's family is living and select a wife from them. And you'll remember his father is Terah, and he is in the line of the chosen seed. So it must be from that particular line that a wife is taken for Isaac. And this same principle is outlined to New Testament saints in Second Corinthians chapter 6, where we're told not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, let's move on here to what happens in the situation beginning in verse 5. And Abraham's faith and God's providence uh, to work out obstacles comes through here. And there are points of tension through the story, through the narrative, that present possible obstacles to God's providential dealings. People have to cooperate. People have to do what he wants. And here's the first thing that comes up introduced by the question of the servant. He says in verse 5, well, what if the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land? And so he's thoughtful. He's thinking about the possible obstacles and what to do when he gets to them. And again, we can perhaps think along those lines. How many women would marry a man sight unseen? What if he's ugly? What if he's poor? What if he's really mean? Well, back then, you didn't necessarily have a choice in those areas of life. But even so... She has to leave her hometown, her family, likely never to see them again. What if they won't let her go? So he's thinking of this possible obstacle to the quest. And these are things reasonable to ask. So uh, shall I come back here and then take the the groom back to the land? He can visit the family. He can see the bride, etc., and then Abraham reveals something else. That's not going to happen either. It's got to be for my family, but you can't uh, set up any kind of parameters where he's going to go back to that land. So he reveals his trust in God providentially working this problem out. He gives another strong warning, verse 6. Beware that you do not take my son back there. And then he tells why the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham is not allowing his son to go back to Haran. He's reaffirming his faith and God's initial promise to give him this land, to give him descendants in this land. He's already purchased a burial plot for Sarah based on this promise. And he continues now in faith that God's blessing is to be fulfilled in the land to his son. And furthermore, he trusts that God will guide the servant by his angelic messenger to the right person. So Abraham's come a long way in his journey of faith. Uh, He's learned that God will provide, God will take care of the issues, God will guide. We just have to trust him. He then tells the servant, if the woman, however, won't return, down in verse 8, then you will be released from this oath, but don't take my son back there. Don't make this an obstacle to his faith, uh, you know, to, to stay with his greater family there and be tempted not to come back to the land. All right. So when this all transpires and the obstacle is removed, Abraham's trusting the Lord to fulfill his word. So the servant then swears his oath that he will do this for his master Abraham. And we think back in that day, Abraham had a whole lot less to go on than we do today. He didn't have God's written word, but God did speak to him directly on a number of occasions. When you think of the whole story, not that many, but God did speak to him. However, in this situation, God does not speak to him. God does not tell him who is the selected bride. He doesn't speak to the servant. He doesn't speak to Laban's family. He doesn't speak to Rachel. He doesn't speak to Isaac, but his providence is clearly seen. Today, we also trust in God's providence through his word, which we have, through his spirit who dwells within us, through prayer and other means to help us find in these types of areas what we're supposed to do, such as who will be my spouse, what will my occupation be, where am I supposed to live, what church am I supposed to serve God in, and other personal decisions of life. So we need to seek God's guidance to help us resolve any obstacles in these different areas of decision. Now, as the story moves forward... We change scenes. We move now to Haran, the place from which Abraham left with his uh, family and and Lot, his nephew. And we see what's going to go on there. And again, it's very clear that God is guiding all the way. And the first thing we see here is the wisdom of the servant seeking God's providence. In verse 10, Okay, the servant took 10 of his master's camels. He departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. That's all it says about the journey, okay? Uh, What he took would include provisions for the trip, as well as gifts for the bride and for her family. He makes his way all the way to Mesopotamia, to the town of Nahor. That's where Abraham's family settled. And this would have taken a minimum of three weeks if he averaged 15 or 20 miles a day. It was a long ways off. Now, as he comes to the place, verse 11, or the end of verse 10, he's at the city of Nahor. He makes his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. And this was the prime time to find the maidens of the city. They would all be coming out to gather water for their family for the next day in the cool of the evening. So he's he's wise in selecting that place if he wants to find out all the uh, eligible women, uh, so to speak, to be a wife for uh, Isaac. But as they come out from the city, how is he going to know which is the right one? So what does he do? Well, He seeks God's guidance. He actually prays to the Lord in verse 12, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Now this is the first prayer in the Bible for a specific need. And now as readers, we know what's going to happen. We've already been introduced to Rebecca. We know who she is, but the servant doesn't know any of this. And um, we see things unfolding from his eyes and from his actions. So he asks for God to prosper his journey, make it successful, and send uh, the right woman uh, to him. And as he asks God this, we see an important word, not only here, but also in the Old Testament, and that is the verb to show kindness. And this is the Hebrew term chesed, and it's often translated loving kindness in the Old Testament. And what it alludes to is covenant love, covenant loyalty or faithfulness, which God has shown to Abraham since they uh, came into covenant together, and God's always faithful in fulfilling that. So the servant asked the Lord to continue his covenant favor toward uh, his master Abraham, and in order to determine God's will, note what he asked to happen. Okay, I'm standing here at the well. The daughters of the men of the city are going to come out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I'll give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you appointed your servant, Isaac. And by that, I'll know that you're being kind or demonstrating Hesed to my master. Well, he's giving... You know, something to signify direction. And in order to determine uh, the Lord's will, he's asking him to send a young lady who will not only give a strange man a drink, but water his camels as well. Now, this would be no small task, ladies, because a thirsty camel could drink up to 25 gallons of water. Now let's say that this young lady, she's strong, and she can maybe her pitcher can carry 4 gallons. That would weigh about 40 pounds. And she has to take that and dip it into the well, bring it back up, carry it to the camels probably about 50 times to satisfy all those camels. So you can see this was a pretty severe test that he asked God to fulfill so he knows who it is, who is the right person. So let's see what happens. Well, the Lord displays his providence through answering this man's prayer. He doesn't say, okay, uh, that's the one right there. He, he answers the prayer, the specifics that were asked of him. And know what it says in verse 15. And it happened... Before he had finished speaking, before he even says, Amen, look, Rachel is coming. Or excuse me, not Rachel, Rebecca. And remember, folks, he still doesn't know who this is. We do, but he doesn't. Okay, so Rebecca's coming out. We're told again who her uh, household is. We know all this, but the servant doesn't know all of this all right now as he converses with her as he watches her there are a number of good qualities that are revealed okay so she comes out verse 16 now the young woman was very beautiful to behold okay so outwardly she was physically attractive Now, this isn't always mentioned of women in the Old Testament in the Bible, but it's often mentioned of the wives of the patriarchs. So she was very nice looking. But more importantly, she was a virgin. No man had known her. So morally pure. Inwardly beautiful, as well as outwardly beautiful. And of course, uh, this should be a characteristic of God's young ladies and young men today. Uh, no matter what our society says, no matter the direction it moves, our young men and young women should maintain themselves morally pure for their husband or for their wife. Okay, now she comes down to the well. She fills her pitcher, and she comes up. Alright, right, on the way up, the servant then runs to her and asks her to give him a drink. Now, again, let's say this thing weighs 30, 40 pounds or more. She's gotten it up on her shoulder. She's taken it down to her family, and this guy comes up. She's never seen before a stranger and asks her for a drink. Now, what would you have done, ladies? Well, my parents said, never talk to a stranger. So on you, I got to go take this to the family. But no, she takes it down off of her shoulder and lets the man drink. And then he doesn't ask her to feed the camels. She offers to do that on her own. Like I said, it's going to take a while to do this. So the Lord is showing his direction, showing his providence. And uh, in verse 19, Uh, Once she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels uh, until they have finished drinking. She quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And while this is happening, the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So this means he's scrutinizing her. He's carefully watching her to see what she does, how she acts, you know, is she griping and complaining? Uh, and he doesn't say anything. He gives no indication of who he is, what his mission is, why he's there. He's just trying to figure out, Lord, is this the one? Looks pretty promising right now. Okay, so uh, God's providence turns out to be even greater than the servant expected. We go down to verse 22, Uh, he finds out that she's actually uh, directly related to Isaac. Okay, so when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10 shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Okay, so he's getting family information. He wants to know who they are and he wants to know uh, how hospitable the family is. So he's seen uh, already that Rebecca proves herself to be respectful, hospitable, industrious, eager to serve. And so far, she's been an answer to his prayers. So is this really the one It really looks like it. But now he finds even more information that should have been quite exciting to him. There could not have been a better outcome to the servant's quest than to find out what family she came from. God led him to the closest of Abraham's relatives and a young lady with many godly qualities. In answer to his question, she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milca's son, whom she bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And you're all thinking, well, that's a little bit too close for our day, and it is. But back then, it wasn't. It's the way it was, and you married somebody within your family. So she's the granddaughter of Bethuel. Uh, she would That would make her a cousin of uh, Isaac, if I've got my thinking right. And then she invites them to come to their home and to stay, to lodge there. So the family is close. The relatives are very near. They're exactly what uh, you would have expected. But this man, uh, for him, would would have said, wow, this is, this is as close as I could have gotten to a perfect match. And uh, uh, this servant should have, uh, I, again, there are, evidence of god's providence here and what does he do then when he finds all of this out well he thanks god he actually worships the lord when he finds this out verse 26 the man bowed down his head and worshiped the lord he said blessed be the lord god of my master abraham who has not forsaken his mercy, that's the same word has said, and his truth or his faithfulness toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. All right, so once God's providence is evident, we ought to worship him. We have to thank and praise him for his guidance. So now there's no doubt in the servant's mind that this is the person God has selected for Isaac's wife. And he falls prostrate before the Lord, and he thanks him for giving him success and continuing to be faithful to Abraham. And his prayer of thanks also provides for us another important clue concerning our responsibility and God's providence. He says, as for me being on the way, the Lord led me. We can't expect the Lord to providentially lead us unless we're walking in the way of obedience. Do you realize that this servant could have taken off with those ten camels and all the nice stuff that was on the ten camels and uh, been a very wealthy man? So there's another tension Something could have happened differently. He could have been unfaithful, gone off, and started his own business or career, whatever he wanted to do, but he faithfully and obediently performed his oath. He didn't turn to the right hand or the left. And if we're unconcerned about our walk with God, how can we expect him to show us his will? God does not providentially lead those who are unfaithful or disobedient to him. So this servant is proving his faithfulness, his trust in God, and now he's thanking him for showing him the way. Now, beginning at verse 29, from this point, uh, she runs home uh, to tell the household all these great things that have happened. And we find now that Abraham's servant convincingly explains God's providence uh, to the family. And that's very important. And this goes through uh, verse 53. So the first thing we find here is the hospitality of Bethuel's family, verse 29. <clears throat> now, we're introduced to Rebekah's brother, whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring. Now that's significant. And the bracelets on his sister's wrist And when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. There he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come on, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So they're being hospitable as they should have. In ancient times, this was an important quality. But we have a subtle hint here to the character of Laban, and we find that he's not going to be quite as virtuous as his sister Rebecca. The word order indicates to us that Laban rushed to see this man as soon as he saw the precious items of jewelry on his sister, which today would be valued at about $7,000. Now, That's what's emphasized in the text. He sees his sister come, Uh, she starts to tell the story, but his vision is glued to that nose ring and the bracelets, and uh, he figures out whoever this guy is is really rich. He runs out to meet him before he leaves the well, invites him to come in, and Uh, He's probably looking forward to getting a little bit more from this person. And we're going to find out later that's exactly the case. Laban is unscrupulous. He's cunning. He's greedy. And we get a little sense of that here. Now, the story continues. And uh, we see that things are made ready for this man. Verse 32, he came to the house. And he unloaded the camels. He provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. So everything is being made ready. And then food was set before him to eat. So we'd expect him to sit down, be refreshed, have a nice meal, but that's not how things go. He is so intent on his purpose that he's not going to eat anything until he conveys to them why he came. I will not eat until I've told about my errand. And then Laman says, well, go ahead and and tell us, speak on. So the servant's report, then, of God's promise continues to the next several verses. Now, we're not going to take the time to go through the whole thing again. We understand the gist of it. He follows fairly closely the narrative. However, as he tells the story, he weaves it in such a way that God's guidance and God's providence are just indisputable. And he reiterates this in verse 48. So go there, take a look. As he concludes everything, he says, I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth or faithfulness to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. So he's stating here, the Lord has led me. These are all the evidences from it. So I'm, I'm wanting to ask you this question. And this is the kind of the, the seal of the deal, if you will. Verse 49. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly or faithfully with my master, there's those important words again. God has proven his faithfulness, but now we have to prove ours. Do you believe what I'm saying here? Are you going to be said? Are you going to be loyal to uh, God's providence and his leadership here? And if you aren't, let me know so I can uh, turn to the right hand or the left and continue my quest to find the right person for my master. But it's pretty obvious who that is. So now it's your responsibility to respond to God's providence. And we find here, then, that when God's providence is clearly evident, it cannot be honestly denied. And so we have the response of the family. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. It's pretty obvious. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that they understand that it is God who has led them to this point, and our opinion, whether good or bad, is inconsequential because it's clear the Lord is directed. So we're going to give our permission for you to take Rebekah as uh, the wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. And that's what they do here in verse 51. Here's Rebekah before you, take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. He's the one who's guided us to this point. What's interesting is you go back and you see what Abraham says to the servant. He says, go and take a wife. Now we're at the end of the uh, negotiations and they say, take her and go. So kind of a reversal there as the uh, The whole situation comes together. And as we close off here, these last few verses, we find that God's providential plan cannot be thwarted. Now, in some ways, it seems like it can if people make the wrong choices, and they might try to do this. But God will oversee things to make sure his will gets done. Um, The response to this point has been positive, But things could have gone differently if men had made different choices. And the actions of human responsibility support and confirm God's providential guidance. We see this in three ways. First of all, the servant's persistence and fulfilling uh, his commission confirms God's providence. So, what goes on in the remainder of the chapter? Look at verse 54. And he, the servant, and men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. Okay, it's time to get going. Get everything ready, get Rebecca's stuff all together because we need to go. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. Well, this probably seems a little bit reasonable. Let her stay for a little bit while longer. You know, we're not going to see her. We might never see her again. So let her stay for a while. But what we don't see here is that this particular statement, the terminology here is a really kind of uh, ambiguous and questionable. Okay. A few days, at least 10 could mean any length of time, up to a year, even beyond that. So were they trying to wriggle out of the agreement? Were they trying to keep the bride and the dowry with them after all? Did they want to just extend it so far that he would get tired of dealing with it and leave? Well, it's not clear, but the servant is not willing to stay even an extra day The time of action is now. He wants to do what God has called him to do. And look at what he says in verse uh, 56. Do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So he's saying that even to stay an extra day is a hindrance to my mission. You've already said that it's clear the Lord's guiding here, so don't try to, to uh, extend the period of time. We need to get going now. This is God's will, and he's putting it in such a way, well, for you to do this is, is to go against the will of God. So his persistence is, is keeping uh, God's providential plan moving where it ought to be, and he's cooperating with the Lord. Then something unusual happens here, really, something that is kind of unethical. In verse 57, okay, well, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Well, guess what? They already gave their permission, didn't they? They said, well, you go ahead and take her for the bride of Isaac. But now, they say, well, wait a minute, let's see what she says about it. So, is the deal not really sealed in their mind? Are they hoping she'll say no? That way they keep their daughter and they keep the dowry too, because that's that's already been given out. Uh, uh, he gave gifts to Rebecca and to her family. So again, we're kind of wondering what's going on here. So they ask Rebecca, "Will you go with this man?" And Rebecca says, "I will go." Uh, Her firm obedience confirms God's providence here. I suppose she could have said, well, I really don't want to. But he says, I will go. And what's interesting here is that she's kind of like uh, a second Abraham. Because the words, I will go here, are the same words used of Abraham when it says he departed from his country and he went. So she's leaving her family like Abraham. She's leaving her land where, like Abraham did. And now she's going to fulfill God's uh, providential guidance and leadership in his will. And she uses the same affirmative that Abraham did when he started out on his journey so many years ago. So Rebecca confirms God's providence by her willingness to go. Again, never even seeing her husband-to-be. And then we come to the very last section here when the two of them come together. Incidentally, let me read uh, the blessing back in verse 16. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That's the same as God's blessing to Abraham. You're going to have thousands of descendants and your uh, descendants are going to possess the gates of their enemies. So that's interesting too, how that connection comes out. Well, Rebecca and her maids arose, they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and he departed. All right, they're on their way back. It's going to take them at least three weeks, maybe a month now because uh, uh, there's more people involved. And now we turn to Isaac. Remember, Isaac is, uh, he's over 37 years old now. And it says, Isaac came from the way of Beirahairoi, for for he dwelt in the south. In other words, he's probably taking care of the family business in the southern uh, wilderness region of the land. And it says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. That word meditate is interesting because it, it has like 10 different ways to translate it. So we're not exactly sure what it means. It can mean he just went out for a walk. He went out to relax. Uh, he went out to contemplate, to think about things. I kind of wonder if he didn't go out thinking, I wonder when the servant's going to get back with my bride. Maybe he went out he was thinking like that. And then it says to us, all of a sudden, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and there they are coming. And he sees uh, these ladies on the camels. And he says, I wonder which one's mine. And uh, you know he's he's looking up and he's and he's seeing this and they're getting closer and he starts to walk to them, and then we're told here the response of Rebecca, verse sixty four. Well, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. Now, folks, that's the first incident in the Bible of love at first sight. He lifted up his eyes; she lifted up her eyes. And she says to the servant, well, who's this man who's walking towards us? And he says, that's my master. So uh, what does she do? She gets off the camel. That shows respect. The woman doesn't look down at the man uh, and and talk to him. She gets off of the camel, and she veils her face. She covers her face. And that was, again, uh, a sign of respect. Uh, The bride had to hide her face. That's why we have a veil today uh, before the time of the wedding. So these two meet together. They'll say, oh man, He, he couldn't say she was ugly, that's for sure, but he didn't see her right away. And she didn't really know from a distance what he was looking like, but they were ready to come together to meet, to fulfill the promises of God. And so we're told, verse 66, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took her back as she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So here we have again, Isaac loved her. That hasn't been mentioned yet. It's not always mentioned, this idea of love, but Isaac loved her. You know what I like about Isaac? He's the only patriarch that had one wife. Just one Isaac, uh, Abraham's going to have another one, Jacob's going to have a few, Isaac just had one. So that was God's intention and he kept it. He loved his wife. Was he perfect? No, but he was a one woman man. He marries Rebecca and so the next generation is sealed to fulfill the promises of God. She becomes the matriarch, he becomes the patriarch and again, we're shifting now to the next generation. So our story ends with this marriage, which you and I really are included in because it's the ongoing narrative of redemption history. We know that as this Line continues, and God providentially guides it through the ages that eventually one will come, the Son of God, from a virgin, Mary, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. God providence uh, uh, plays out in our lives as he brings us to the Lord Jesus, forgives us of our sins, and we become his eternal bride. So today, do you trust the Lord to work out in your life his providential ways. You can only do that if you're walking in obedience, if you're really seeking his will. And as you learn his word, as you pray, as you follow the guidance of his spirit, as you commune with the saints, he makes his will known to you in unclear areas of life. And when you recognize that God has dealt providentially. We need to be like that servant, and we need to worship him and praise him and thank him. And finally, do you try to share these things with others so they will be encouraged to see God's providential care and respond to it uh, as you have done? That's what the servant did when he told the story again to the family of Bethuel. So again, important thoughts here about God's providential guidance in the lives of his people and their cooperation with that guidance. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that your word gives us much information that is undeniable as to what your will is. But also we realize, Lord, that there are some areas that we must make decisions we must seek your will. We must seek your guidance. We don't always see it clearly. So help us, Lord, to be like Abraham, to be like his servant, who were diligent in seeking your will. And we're thankful, Lord, for all the means that we have to find it today. May we be blessed uh, uh, as we see this working out of your providence. And, Lord, may we look for it being worked out in our lives today as well and thank you and praise you for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.